Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Remnant Leadership Podcast, formerly known as the Big Picture Leadership Podcast. And there's a reason why we've changed it. <laughs> uh, but uh, we won't go, go deep into that other than to say that we really feel like the Lord has called us to the remnant generation. Because the remnant generation is what is left here. And, and if you've got leaders in the remnant generation, they need to be spoken to directly. And that's what this podcast has always been about. We've just sort of, it's a new podcast and it's just now building. So we're, we felt like we were at a time that we would go ahead and make that change. So going forward, the name of this podcast, this particular podcast is the remnant leadership podcast. Of course, you know, I also have another podcast and YouTube channel called the big picture that you can subscribe to as well. But if you're listening to this podcast for the first time today, or maybe you're second or third time checking it out and you like it, you keep coming back. It's really important that you follow our podcast. And if you're on iTunes, Apple, excuse me, Apple, app, uh, <laughs> if you're on Apple, uh, you know, podcast app, there you go. Uh, give us a five star review that would help us tremendously or whatever app that you're on, that you're using. Uh, if you would rate us, review us, it would help and I'll tell you what, if you'll share this with somebody, it would be a blessing. Uh, the quick topic today that we're going to talk about is adjusting your win. That's W-I-N, adjusting your win. Pastors and leaders out there, let's just be real. Okay, let's let's just go ahead and just accept the truth. And here's the truth. You know, why I know, listen, I believe in prayer. I'm a man of prayer. I believe in the power of prayer. I believe in uh, the power of life and death in your tongue, and you're declaring uh, that, you know, bless God, the numbers are coming back, the people are coming back. Here we are uh, over two years later. Let me help you. The people that have left your church and are left your ministry, no longer a supporter of your ministry, chances are probably they're not coming back. That's just the truth. And, and you're going to have to just accept that and you're going to have to get over it because the reality is this, they're not coming back, but that doesn't mean that the numbers and the people that are the most important thing is, is the people we hope that they do come back. But the reality is two years later, some of them will, but most of them are not coming back. So what we've done here at our church, our ministry, and I've, and I pastor pastors, uh, through our network, Ambassadors Network, I pour into pastors' lives. I've told them, I said, look, you know, you're going to have to just understand that 2019 is an eternity ago. And the way that we, the metrics that we use to analyze growth and and health and so forth of our ministry, uh, it's changed. It's changed and it's not going back. Some things I wish would go back, but many things, it's probably a good deal that it doesn't go back. But I just want to tell you, this is not a depressing podcast. This is an encouraging podcast. So God has just been telling me to adjust the wind and begin to appreciate things that, quite frankly, you know, we've moved on from and taken for granted for many years now. You know, I'm, I'm thankful that we are um, getting beyond the whole church growth thing where, you know, we're motivated by we got to have more lights. we got to have a bigger screen. And I love that. I mean, I'm. I, I'm shoot, man, anything that you want to uh, bless our church with lights, um, we'll put a smoke machine up there. We'll, we'll do anything to get people saved. Uh, but I think somewhere along the way, we lost 
the focus of ministry and we put it more on the appeal of the eye and the appeal of the ear, the sound system, the lighting system, all those things are important. But the most important thing is people. If you go back and read the Bible, which is what everything we as remnant leaders and pastors and fivefold ministry gifts operate in is based on the Bible and the Bible you know, it changed the world. Thousands of years later, we're still talking about what they did and the message that they preached. And they didn't have any of those kind of things. But they did have one resource. They had people. And they appreciated the ones that was with them. They poured into the ones that was with them. Now, remember, we were told not to go out and become celebrities and influencers. We were told to go out and make disciples. And I think we've lost that. I think we've lost the the anointing and, quite frankly, the the motivation to make disciples. But I see us getting back to it. I see the church more and more getting back to the basics of um, discipleship. So I want to just encourage you today that the big thing is just adjust the win. Adjust the win where, where let's say you had, just throwing some numbers out there, let's say you had 200 people coming to your service pre the you-know-what, and here you are now, you're, you know, two years later, You've been open for a long time, been having tremendous services, but you're you're at 100. You're at 75. And you begin to question your own um, leadership ability, your own anointing. You know, what, what am I doing wrong? What more do we need to do? The reality is this. That's the norm. The norm is right now at the time of this recording, the most – that I've seen anywhere in any kind of article anywhere as far as uh, tracking uh, returning numbers to pre-you-know-what hitting the world is, is at the most 60 to 65%. Not many ministries, churches, whatever, uh, that is uh, Christian-based is seeing anywhere close to 70 75% return. Most are, get this now, this is this – this will either depress you uh, or it will encourage you. Most of, most numbers are between 35 and 50%. That's unreal that that many people have walked away from ministry. That's why this podcast is called the Remnant Leadership Podcast. Is because the remnant is a small number. It's much more smaller than we ever thought it would be. We've been talking about the name remnant. We've been talking about the subject of remnant in the church my entire life. But, you know, we, we thought of it as, you know, the chosen ones, the anointed ones, the ones that are going to be a part of the great revival. But the reality is this. Remnant means small. Remnant means throwaway peace. Remnant means um, something that really looks like it doesn't have much value. But it is that remnant that is going to change the world. It is the remnant that is going to be the most powerful and anointed, I believe, um, move within the body of Christ that we've ever seen. So when we adjust the wind, what, what does that mean? It means that when we look at that crowd at 75 to 100, where we used to see 200, we thank God for those that have come in because the reality is this. And I'm speaking mainly to pastors now, but I'm also speaking to evangelists and traveling itinerant preachers as you go forth and, and uh, as, as the Lord continues to open doors for you to go out and minister at other churches and you look at the crowds and they're not as big as they used to be as well. I'm encouraging you to start appreciating the ones that are there because here's the reality. The ones that are in a gathering, whatever that gathering is, in the name of Jesus Christ, uh, they've they've made a, a, a very conscious decision 
they've made a very intentional decision. Some of them have gone against the advice of family, have gone, have gone against the requests of family because they, they have been accused of uh, putting family members in danger. Uh, they have been accused of being haphazard with the, the ones that they love because they choose to gather because so many have bought into the narrative that we just need to stay away from people. Well, I tell our church and I, and I tell the leaders that I've been blessed to oversee and speak into their lives is, and if you think this is it, then, then you, you surely are not awake because the powers that be that do not want the gospel to go out. They, they have seen how quite frankly easy it was for the body of Christ uh, and many of the leaders of the body of Christ to buy into that narrative. And so they've got other things lined up that are coming. So if we don't take a stand now, and if we don't begin to disciple and build disciples now and multiply those disciples, then we're going to be even in a worse shape um, as, as the next phase comes. Because there's another phase of, of attack, another phase of control that is coming. Okay? So when you adjust the wind, you look out there and you say to yourself, man, I so appreciate those 75 people because what they're saying is I'm all in. They're saying, I'm all in. I've had to fight through everything, not just family, but I've had to fight through media. I've had to fight through social media. I've had to fight through people that are saying all kinds of things, trying to put fear into my heart to keep me away from the house of God, but I've made a decision to come. Now you've got a remnant of people there. They they might be much smaller in number than you had before, but the very fact that they're there, and and listen, I'm not even talking about people that, you, many of them you used to probably never looked at as as potential leaders. Uh, some of the ones that you thought were going to be your potential leaders never came back. And here's some people that you never had in your column of this was going to be a powerful leader one day. But you know what? If they're there, they are a candidate to be discipled, to be a great leader. So I'm encouraging you to adjust that win. I'm encouraging you, men of God, women of God, that are in leadership positions over numbers of people, regardless of that number. Adjust that win and appreciate it. Because here's the reality. If you will, if you will see those people as potential disciples that you can, that God has put in your life to mentor and to equip, then here's the reality. Every one of them is going, you're going to duplicate yourself as a five-fold ministry gift into their lives. They're going to begin to operate as they are discipled in a five-fold ministry gift, some type of ministry gift. Therefore, then they're going to go out into the marketplace, into their family. They're going to do the same thing, and they're going to duplicate, which has always been the plan of the, of the plan of what the church is supposed to look like. We've lost it somewhere. We've turned church, we've turned the gathering into a place we all come and receive, 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 and, and just get everything we can get, and then forget all about what it means to be an actual disciple of God when we leave the place. But the fivefold ministry gifts in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 says, he's given gifts unto men, Jesus. And he says, here's, some, here's the gifts that he gave. The fivefold ministry gift, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And then he goes on to say the very powerful thing about it, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So those fivefold ministry gifts are to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. We, we've lost that. And I think that the, the thing that hit the world has caused us to go back to the basis and remember that that's what we did. Remember, remember the disciples in the book of Acts chapter 6? I believe it was chapter six when the church begins to explode in growth and there begin to be a complaining and a murmuring uh, of the uh, 
the widows not being taken care of. And people were saying the, the widows are not receiving their daily um, administration of administration of food to them. And, uh, and they go to the 12 disciples, the 12 apostles at that time to do it. Now, watch what happens. It, it, it begins to be a situation where we realize immediately that the widows are being taken care of by the apostles. But the apostles are also studying, praying, seeking God, and pouring the word out into the people and equipping them. But there wasn't a balance there. And the growth caused a need for balance. So the Bible says that God moves upon the disciples, and they say something very profound. They said, we need you. They say to the ones that are complaining, we need you to go out and find seven men full of the Holy Ghost of integrity and wisdom and bring them to us, and we will lay hands on them, and we will appoint them, send them forth out and appoint them to take care of the widows, because watch what he says. Watch what the word of God says in the book of Acts. It is not right that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Now, they were not saying that they were above serving tables because they've been doing that. But they begin to realize the only way a church can really function and grow and be the way it's supposed to be and a ministry can grow and be the way it's supposed to be is there has to be a distribution and a delegation of the functioning of that. And we've, we've really raised up a, a celebrity pastor mentality that, quite frankly, I believe is, is a stench to the nostrils of God. And one by one, the, celebrate, the, the um, celebrity pastors are, are coming down. I don't want to see anybody be, you know, brought down. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm just saying the days of the big-time preacher and the, the gathering being all about the preacher are over. And that's one thing that has happened is it's taken the – Focus off, you know, because, you know, a lot of these guys had to swallow their pride. Some of them hadn't even been able to take losing those numbers, and they just quit. Or they're just doing online ministry because, you know, now they don't want to have to deal with all seeing the empty seats and all that. Well, you know, hey, come on, preacher. I'm just going to tell you something. Get over yourself, man. If you can't preach to to 50 the way you would preach to 500, then then what are you? Are you really a preacher? A preacher of the gospel preaches. What the Bible says, we're two or three gathered in my name. There I am in the midst of them. So we've got to adjust it not just being about the crowd. Now, that being said, let me say there's nothing wrong with counting. There's nothing wrong with counting numbers. There's nothing wrong with um, gauging growth. In fact, I think you need to do that. I think you need to, not for the sake of a notch in your belt, but, you know, just see that because here's the natural thing that will happen. When you create disciples, they will duplicate themselves. And, and, and it's not the only metric that you go with, but it is a metric that does speak to us. Growth in number does speak to us that there is some type of spiritual growth going, especially in these days and times. Now, there might have been a time not long ago that could it, it might have been tied to the fact you had more programs than anybody else, had the biggest building, had the biggest budget. Well, you know, big budget, uh, big building people now, are struggling to keep the doors open just like everybody else. So everybody's just sort of leveled the playing field, and we've got to um, reevaluate what a win, W-I-N, looks like. Not in the competition. I only use that word because that's just a word that, that you use to say, okay, you know, what we set out to do, we accomplished. So real quick before I jump off this podcast, I want to give you a couple of things that, you need to ask yourself when you're just in this win, uh, minister, is this. 
One of the things is you need to ask yourself: Are the when you when you when you have to set aside the number of people? Okay, we're taking that we're taking that metric out right now. We're still going to count numbers. We're still going to know what we're running, but that's not going to be the top of the metrics anymore, and it can't be because you'll live in depression if um, if the number is the top metric that you're going by. So setting that aside, even though we're still going to do it, let's look at some other things like number one. Uh, are the people that you're leading and equipping and discipling, are they growing? Are they flourishing? Are you seeing people, new people, uh, and young Christians stepping up and being used in ministry in church? If not, you're going to ask yourself why. What do we need to do to quickly bring people from a born-again experience or a new church member or new ministry connection person? How do we quickly move them from receiving to serving, which, of course, means giving. I mean, it's very, very important. A believer will never, ever, ever be fully satisfied in God if they are not until they are serving someone else. And I'll say this also to you. Everything rises and falls on leadership. Very famous statement by Dr. John Maxwell, 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. I've read it I don't even know how many times. Okay? Believe in it. Everything rises and falls on leadership. Well, if that's the truth, then you got to understand this. God is not going to send you people to your ministry or to your church that you don't have enough leaders in place to take care of them. Can I tell you something? There's a reason why, and it used to be, and it's pro- I want, I'm anxious to know what the new number is now. But before all this stuff happened, the average church size across America was between 65 and 70 people. 65 and 70 people is the average church size. And you got to understand that's the average. So that means you've got that's in that average is churches that run in the thousands, and that that means there's the really the number is skewed because in order to bring the average to seventy and you're including churches that run two, three, five, ten thousand people, some some churches the mega churches is running twenty plus thousand people in all their multiple services, and in in order to get to the average number of seventy, that means that there's thousands upon thousands of churches that are running 15 and 20 people. Okay. So that being said, uh, those numbers have gone way down, but I, I said all that to say this, that I remember reading a statistic, uh, five, five, six years ago about that average number of 70. And they said that the, the, um, the normal, the regular pastor can only adequately pastor somewhere between 50 to 70 people. After that, he cannot pastor anybody beyond that personally. He can personally take care of around 50 people, maximum 70. And, and the illustration was that's why it's about the size of the average of the church because the church usually can never grow beyond what the pastor is doing to, to nurture the sheep. Well, if you want your church and your ministry to grow, regardless of what the number of people you have connected to your ministry now you need to begin to equip and cover and speak into and, and shepherd your leaders and prepare the leaders, whether you've got one leader that you consider somebody that's connected to you or whether you've got a team of leaders of 50 to 100 underneath you, you need to teach them constantly. We've got to, I've got to pour into you. I'm going to pour into my whole congregation, but I'm really going to spend time pouring into you because I really need you to pour into the others till we see more and more and more people flourishing in ministry because the more leaders that we raise up 
the more people God is going to bring to us. He's not going to bring 25 to 30 visitors in a month to your church that's hungry for something authentic and real, and you don't even have enough leaders to take care of the ones that are coming. They're not going to stay. They're just not going to stay. So you're going to have to learn how to duplicate yourself. Remember, Jesus preached to thousands, okay? he Listen, he preached to thousands, but he equipped 12. You know, I've often said the greatest thing that Jesus ever did, we all know the answer to that, is that he, lived, he came and was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on the cross for our sins, and came back from the dead. But it's very, very important. You know what the second most important thing Jesus ever did? Okay, we know the first. What is the second? Well, I believe, it's my opinion, the second most important thing Jesus ever did was take his vision for the church and pour it in to 12 men around a campfire at night. He spent his intimate time really pouring in to 12. You know, and I know one of them turned on him, but, you know, one out of 12 average pastors, I think we'd all agree, you know, turning on us over the course of our ministry, it's a pretty good ratio. Of course, he was replaced, and it still continued after after Judas had killed himself to have 12. And the Bible says that, you know, they were standing, some of the disciples were standing before this judge, and I love what the Word of God says. He says, are these not of the 12 that turned the world upside down? So by that time, there was a reputation that the 12 had turned the world upside down. Well, 12 men did not turn the world upside down. No, 12 men made such an impact on other people's lives and other no-name people, unnamed people that only heaven knows who they are, were the ones that took what the disciples were teaching and ran with it and turned the world upside down. And all these years later, thousands of years later, we're still talking about them. And we're really talking about growing the church now that the foundation stones were the 12 apostles, uh, but how were they? The, how were they the foundation stones? Because Jesus understood something that pastors and leaders, you got it. You we got to understand as well, is that he knew that he could not personally listen. Even though he's God, the God part of Jesus, which is eternal, always was, always, always existed. Of course, God is attentive to every human being on the earth. God. But the man Jesus, the body that he was walking in, could not personally minister to the thousands. That's why he needed disciples. That's why before he began anything in his ministry, listen to me, before he started preaching to the masses, he got people to help him. He equipped them, and he poured his vision into them. So he'd preach during the day in, in just parables because the people were uneducated. They had not spent intimate time with him. They didn't get it fully. And he would say, the kingdom of heaven is likened to, and he would preach and teach uh, in parables. But then in the evening, when they were all out in the field, resting, sleeping, going back to their home, Jesus would sit around the campfire, break bread, eat some fish or something like that with his disciples. And then, then it would be like they would say, Master, today you said this. What did you mean? And then Jesus would begin to break it down. And Jesus would begin to say things like, well, this is what I said to them, but let me go further and let me tell you what I fully meant to you because I'm going to need you to be able to fully go deeper with them when I'm gone. So powerful, so powerful. Remember what he told Peter after he had been raised from the dead? 
He showed himself that he was alive for 40 days, walking around in resurrected body. Right towards the end of those 40 days, he's sitting once again around a campfire eating fish, and they're just chilling out. He's spending time with his friends and spending time with the same ones. Remember, he says, you see these things that I'm doing? Don't be amazed by them because greater than this you're going to do if I go to my father. Did he, did he mean that they were going to be greater miracle workers than Jesus? Come on. No, nobody's ever. In fact, nobody is even, nobody's a miracle worker without Jesus because nobody can work miracles by themselves. What he was saying is it's going to be on a greater magnitude, a greater number than you can even fathom because you're going to duplicate yourself. You're going to see what I'm doing. And you're going to mimic what I'm doing, and then you're going to teach others to mimic what you're doing, to follow the example that you have. So once again, you sit there sitting around the campfire in, in, you know, in resurrection form, and you know, Jesus just looks over at Peter and just out of nowhere just says, hey, do you love me? Peter says, of course I love you. He said, well, then feed my sheep. Okay, no, no problem. I'll feed your sheep. Eat a few more bites. Hey, Peter, I'm going to ask you a question. Do you love me? Peter's like, um, okay, did we not just have this discussion? Uh, yes, Lord, I love you. Yes, Lord. Okay, then uh, feed my lambs. Take care of my lambs and feed them. Okay, I will, I will. Peter's thinking, okay, what's going on with Jesus? A few minutes later, Jesus says, hey, Peter, I, I got a question to ask you. Do you love me? At that time, you got to imagine that Peter was freaking out. Peter was like, what is going on with my master? What is going on with Jesus? Why, why does he keep asking me the same question? Lord, you know I love you. He got emphatic. God, God, you know I love you. He said, well, feed my sheep then. And then we don't hear any more discussion because it finally clicked with Peter. He didn't call me just to follow him. He didn't call me just to spend time with him. He didn't call me just to eat fish around the campfire with him. He called me to take what's in him and pour it into others and make sure others are flourishing. You hear me? The anointing of God that comes on you, preacher, is not for you. It's not so that you can be elevated. It's not so that you can feel uh, the the ooey-gooey presence of God, your hair standing up on the back of your head and all this kind of stuff. No, the anointing of God comes on you for service. The anointing comes on you to set the captive free. But it don't just come on you to set the captive free. It comes on you to move, to, to be used by God to encourage, inspire, and empower others to do the same. Okay? So just the win. Are the people flourishing around you? Are they spiritually healthy? Are they, you know, are they biblically healthy? Uh, you know, so, so I, you know, it's not real deep here, y'all. It, it's, it's really elementary. If we want to see God use us in the last days, and I'm going to close by this statement. If we want to see God use us in the last days, as crazy as it sounds, we will learn how to win, learn how to be successful in the last days, by simply going back and finding what made them successful in the early days, in the first days. Acts chapter 2. I encourage you during this time, leader, to go back to the book of Acts. Can I tell you, the book of Acts is not just about the Pentecostal power of God in Acts chapter 2. It is the birth of the church. It shows us how the church became strong. They broke bread daily house to house, and then they met in the temple and they praised God. They did life together. They encouraged each other. 
When they were sick, they laid hands on each other and prayed for each other. They cast out devils. They were involved in people's lives. Preacher, your best days are ahead of you. They're not behind you. You are not defined by how many people are sitting in those seats. You stand before God. That's not what he's going to talk about to you. He's going to talk about your faithfulness. He's going to talk about you being faithful over a few things. Now you're going to be ruled over much. Thank you for joining me on the Remnant Leadership Podcast. I'm Larry Raglan. I'm your host. I'll be back on the next episode, opening your eyes, empowering you, equipping you for the Remnant Generation.